Well, good morning and welcome again to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to gather with you this second Sunday of Advent. Uh, speaking of Advent, just want to encourage you, if you haven't already, just to run by our bookstore on your way out. We've got several wonderful Advent devotionals uh, that just walk through this Advent season in God's Word. So if you haven't checked any of those out, uh, run by the bookstore today before you leave, just so you can see some of those options that are in there. Uh, as we begin our time in God's Word this morning, Debbie's going to read our sermon text. So listen to God's Word. Luke 1, 26-38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, good and gracious God, we thank you for making yourself known to us. God, I pray that that reality would never be something we disregard or not in awe of, that you, the creator of all the world, has made yourself known to us. And God, I pray that in the midst of all that's going on in our world right now, all that might be going on in our individual lives in this moment, would you help us right now to slow down and to see and savor Jesus this morning? God, lift our gaze to Christ, our King, and help us to behold his greatness now. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So public speaking is obviously something that's a big part of my job, my life, and it has been for quite a while. I majored in communication theory in college, and so I had to take a bunch of public speaking classes or classes that involved public speaking in some way. But I really got my start in being up in front of a group of people in middle school and high school when I was really involved in theater. So I had to learn a lot of lines and perform in front of audiences. And when I was a senior in high school, I also had my public speaking experience added to by doing the announcements each morning on our PA system in front of our whole school with one of my friends. We would leave the school each morning in the Pledge of Allegiance, announce different things that were going on in uh, and events that were going on, as well as the birthdays of all 581 seniors throughout the year. 
Now, while I had an audience of around 3,000 people on the PA system each day, I realized often that they tuned out those daily announcements. They were important, but maybe for most high school students didn't seem that compelling. Well, today we're continuing on in our Advent series in Luke 1 through 2 called Light in the Darkness. And what we see Luke doing here is telling an epic story. Last week, we saw that after some 400 years of silence where there was no word from the Lord, an angel comes and the silence is broken and he speaks to an unassuming priest named Zechariah. Now that in and of itself was unexpected. But more than that, the message that he was given was unexpected. That Zechariah and his wife would have a son, but not just any son, he would be a voice in the wilderness, the messenger preparing the way of the Lord and preparing a people for the Lord. As Mark mentioned last week, the dawn of redemption is happening. But the only person who knows about it at this point is an ordinary priest who's now been made mute because of his unbelief. Well, now Luke turns to another scene. And like the first one, he gives another epic announcement by way of his messenger. But it, again, comes in a most unexpected way. It doesn't come to a large, attentive crowd in a big city. It comes to a young woman in the middle of nowhere. But what's even more surprising is the content of this announcement. It isn't about homecoming parades or after-school activities. And what we see here is God announces his extraordinary son. He announces his extraordinary son. And what we'll see is not only the epic nature of who this son is and will be, but how this son will come to be in our world. Now, I know that this story is very familiar to a whole lot of us in this room this morning. For others I know, maybe this will be the first time that you're hearing this story. But whether you're very familiar with it or not, my hope is, is that all of us will be left in awe this morning about what's actually taking place here, what we're reading about, much of what we've already sung about this morning. That we'll be in awe, and because of that, we'll respond in faith. Because what God says in this announcement, it changes everything. So let's open up to Luke 1, and may God bless the preaching of his word. As we get into the story today, there are really kind of two parts of this epic announcement, two parts that'll serve as our two points today. The first one is that God announces the magnificent arrival of his extraordinary son. The same angel, Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, the same angel who has come to Zechariah is now sent to another person with another message that sounds very similar, but is very different. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, when Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, it was in Jerusalem at the temple. There was a large crowd of people outside praying and waiting for him to come out again. Here, Gabriel goes to a town called Nazareth. Now, Luke mentions that it's in Galilee because Nazareth is almost too small, so small and insignificant that he's giving a place of reference there. But people do this all the time now, right? Someone might say, I live in Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's pretty close to Nashville. Or I live in or am from Allentown, Pennsylvania. That's about an hour north of Philadelphia. We do it here, right? We live in Fairfax. It's just outside of D.C. We're giving some reference point for us here, for others to understand where we're from or where we've been growing up. But Nazareth is not just some town near a city. It's a podunk place. It's unimpressive. It's unexciting. It's ordinary. It's kind of a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. 
So Gabriel is sent not just to this specific place, but also to a specific person, to a girl, we learn in verse 27, named Mary. He's sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There's some interesting pieces of information here. First, Luke tells us she's a virgin. Seems a little bit random and a little bit personal for him to be telling us this information. He also tells us she's betrothed to marry a man named Joseph. Betrothed isn't a word we use very often today. It means engagement. But in this culture, in this context, it was more than engagement is in our current context. It was a legally a binding arrangement prior to marriage. And so for a betrothal or an engagement to be broken, it would need a legal proceeding to actually take place. And he also tells us Joseph is from the line of King David. These are details Luke is sharing with us. We don't exactly know why yet, but they'll come into view more in just a moment. So Gabriel's sent to a specific place, to a specific person with a specific message that begins with an amazing greeting. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What an amazing statement. This isn't just Gabriel coming in and being like, Hey, what's up? Now, he, he has something specific in here he's saying. He's saying, greetings, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of all creation, favors you, and he is with you. That's an amazing statement. This would be true in more ways than one, as Mary would soon find out. But like Zechariah, Mary's taken aback. Look at verse 29. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary doesn't seem hysterical in this moment, but she's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Who is this person that's talking to me? And the things that he's saying are blowing my mind. I'm not exactly sure what to do with it. Like Mark mentioned last week, I mean, we could place ourselves in Mary's shoes here and think if an angel all of a sudden appears to us and starts speaking to us, we're probably going to be a little bit freaked out, uncertain what's happening. She's thinking, why is this happening? What does this mean? But Gabriel seeks to quiet her fear and reiterate what he's already said. You have found favor with God, meaning you have found grace from God and with God. That's what favor means. Before we go any further into the content of this announcement, we need to understand what it means that she's found favor, what it means that she's found grace. What the angel says to Mary in verses 28 and 30 about being a favored one and finding favor with God is not Hail Mary full of grace. This is Hail Mary recipient of grace. Mary doesn't have grace within herself to help herself or anyone else. No, Mary is an object of God's grace just like you are, just like I am. See, God gives grace to the ordinary Mary was an ordinary person in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. It may not be who we would expect God to come to or how we would write this story, but that's exactly who the Lord comes to. Humble, unimpressive people. People who are desperate for him. So what is this messenger of God there to announce? We see the content of it in verses 31 through 33. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, there's a lot of information in these three verses. And if we're familiar with this story, we might just breeze past it. We might just tune it out like my high school peers. But I really want us to slow down here. I want us to take it all in because what the angel says here is absolutely astounding. He says, Mary, you're going to conceive and bear a son. Interesting piece of information we already learned, right? She's a virgin. That's insane that he would say something like that to her. You're going to conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Jesus. This isn't just because the angel likes the name Jesus, like he could have named him something else. No, this is intentional because the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. This son, Jesus, will be great. Gabriel told Zechariah that his son, John, would be great. So this son, Jesus, will be great like John, but also not like John. Why? Because the next thing, he will be the son of the Most High. This is a favorite term David uses to refer to God. Now, this little piece of information maybe almost seems to get lost in the midst of everything the angel is saying because it's going to come up again in a moment. Because the angel goes on to say he will be a king, but not just any king. He's going to sit on David's throne and he will reign as king forever. His kingdom will have absolutely no end. Now, for us to think about the reality of what the angel is saying here, we have to think about our own context, our own world. If you go down to the American History Museum in D.C., I was just there over the summer with some of my friends. There are portraits of all the presidents we've had in the United States. You know what? Almost all of them are dead. And the few that are still alive eventually will be dead. All of them, their reign, their power has come to an end. And the, the one right now that we have, eventually his will too. And so will the next guy. And so will the next person after that. But this king here that we see that the Gabriel's telling Mary about, his kingdom has no end. There's never a point in time where he won't be ruling and reigning over everything forever. Mary would have known the promise of Isaiah chapter 9 that we heard read earlier in Spanish and in English. Something written hundreds of years, hundreds of years before this moment. Let me read it to us again. Think about what the angel has said to her and listen to these words Isaiah wrote. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. She would have known, she would have known that God promised David that he would have a king from his family to rule and reign over God's people. She would have known that this king wasn't just going to be a king, but the promised Messiah, the savior of the world. But what the angel is saying to her, what he's saying to us with crystal clarity is, thou long expected savior, Thou long-expected Messiah, thou long-expected Redeemer, thou long-expected King, he is coming and he will come through you, Mary. And he'll come for you. 
I mean, think about this. The grace that Mary needs, the grace that Mary will receive because of her own sin and her own need for redemption will come through the child that she bears. We'll see a glorious birth announcement in a few weeks on Christmas Eve. But this, this is an unexpected and insane pregnancy announcement, especially for a young woman who is a virgin. The son of God, the savior of the world will be conceived? That's mind boggling. For a first century Jewish person, for Luke's original audience who are a bunch of Greek intellectuals, this is mind boggling, earth shattering kind of news. It's not mediocre both then and now. And it comes to a young woman in a small town. God's ways are certainly not our ways, are they? I mean, if we were writing this story, would we write it this way? I mean, why not go to a big city, to the rich and the powerful, the well-known? Why, why to this ordinary woman in an ordinary place? so that God might get all the glory for the greatest news and the greatest gift of grace the world has ever known. Mary may be ordinary, but this is absolutely extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary because Jesus is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, don't miss this. Don't tune this announcement out. Don't breeze past what's being said here. This child whom Mary will bear, he is like us in many ways, but he's set apart and unlike us in so many other ways. None of the things said here by Gabriel can be said about anyone else but him. This is God's extraordinary son who is coming to rule and reign forever and ever. But how in the world is this going to happen? Mary has the same question. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, there must be something different about her question from Zechariah's question we saw last week in verse 18 because there's no rebuke, there's no discipline. The angel said Zechariah would be disciplined because he didn't believe his words in verse 20. But Mary's question isn't a question of unbelief or of doubt. It's a question of curiosity. Even if Mary doesn't know all about how pregnancy works scientifically, she does know that it takes a man and a woman to come together in sexual union for this to take place. So she isn't saying, God, can you do this? She's saying, God, I believe you could do this, but how will you do this? If I'm thinking logically, I'm not sure how this works out. Gabriel graciously answers her, which leads to our second point, God announces the miraculous incarnation of his extraordinary son. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. I love that in this one verse, this one verse, we have the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons actively at work to bring to fruition our great rescue. But if what Gabriel said in the initial pregnancy announcement isn't astonishing enough, this is out of this world. Mary will be pregnant like any other woman is pregnant. 
carrying a baby whose life begins in the darkness and in a microscopic way, developing and growing for roughly nine months. But the conception of this very real life will not come about by normal human means. No, the Holy Spirit will do this work. The power of God will bring this about. Now, there's nothing sexual in how this is going to happen. The spirit coming upon her and the power of the most high overshadowing her is about the very presence and person of God coming down to rest and take up residence like we see God doing in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. And because this son will be conceived in this way, he will be called, Gabriel tells us, holy and the very son of God. He will be God in human flesh. That's what the word incarnation means. It means to take on flesh, to become flesh. And there's something really important for us to understand in this. Because Jesus will be born of a woman, he will be a man. But because Jesus will be conceived by God, by the Holy Spirit, he will also be God. Not half man and half God. Not some mixture of the two where we pour them into a bucket and stir it up and aren't sure exactly what's going to come out. No, Jesus will be 100% man and 100% God. He'll have two natures. Now, this is really difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Really hard for us to comprehend exactly what that looks like and exactly what that means because that's not our reality. We have one nature. But here, what the angel's telling us is when the Son of God incarnates, when he comes to dwell among us, he will be 100% God and 100% man. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, but critical for us to believe. Why? because it's the only means of our redemption. In Genesis chapter three, we see sin enter into our world. Our world becomes broken and in disarray as Adam and Eve rebel against God. And now the reality is all of us are born into this world, not as clean slates, but as rebellious sinners, choosing to assert ourselves to assert our will, to go our own way, we believe early on that our personal independence is where true life and true freedom are found. But that is a lie. We are not free. We're enslaved to sin and death. Living in darkness, each of us experiencing the very real difficulty of trying to live life apart from our maker, trying to live life apart from our Lord and our King, a problem we cannot fix, we cannot remedy on our own. doesn't matter how many self-help books you read. doesn't matter what degree you have from what school. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. You cannot fix this problem on your own. But there is hope. Because even in the midst of our rebellion, God promised that a real person would come to fix it all. Eric read that this morning from Genesis 3.15. And what we see throughout the scriptures is we see God working and moving towards this person. This redeemer had to be a man because he had to live a real life in the real world. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, the apostle Paul speaks to this. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This means that at the exact right time in God's providence, Jesus came into our world in human flesh. He incarnated 
and he came to be the redeemer the world needed, that you and I needed to live a perfect life of obedience following God's ways. And he was able to be that redeemer because, as Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The eternal son of God who's existed forever, took on human flesh. He didn't divest himself of his divinity of being God. He took on human flesh as a servant for us. And he came into this world not only to live a perfect life, but to go to the cross to die in your place and my place for our sin. The angel gives this amazing news to Mary that she's gonna conceive and bear the son of God, but we have to guess that at this point she didn't know that what Gabriel's saying is, is that in order for him to be the savior king, he would have to go to a cross. He would have to die a heinous death as a substitute for her and for her neighbors and for the nations and for you and me. Jesus had to be man so that he might sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Jesus had to be God so that he might walk in power and perfect holiness. No one else, no other way. This is the secret rescue plan of God, that before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son and the Spirit planned to rescue the world from sin and death, a world in complete rebellion, undeserving of mercy, undeserving of grace, but it isn't done by proxy. God doesn't send a representative. He comes to us as one of us to rescue us. And he comes in the humblest of ways, which we'll see play out more and more as we continue through this story. It's absolutely amazing. And sometimes I think We can read this, we can hear this, we can sing some of the songs we sang this morning and the reality of what's being sung, the reality of what we're reading doesn't quite hit us. It stays in the theological, it stays in the ethereal instead of really thinking about the fact that God himself came into our world to come into our lives to rescue us. The story we heard last week begins to converge with the story Luke is telling us This week, the angel gives a gracious sign to Mary, even though she's not asking for one. We see in verse 36, he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. He's saying your your relative, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. That's as if to say, Mary, you can know that what I'm saying is true. You can know what I'm saying is Write and rejoice because I've already done something miraculous for your relative. We'll see how that plays out a bit more next week. But Gabriel finishes his announcement to Mary by saying something key here. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, can we just stop for a moment and think about what he's saying there? Mary needed to be reminded of this. 
Luke's original audience needed to be reminded of this. We today need to be reminded of this. Maybe some of us in particular, that nothing is impossible with God. With all that's going on in our world, with all that's going on in your life right now, nothing is impossible for a God who announces the magnificent arrival and declares the miraculous incarnation of his extraordinary son. If he can bring this about, and he has, If he can bring this about, then we can trust him with every detail and difficulty of our lives. Do you believe that? Mary did, and it changes everything for her. We have to remember, as author Hannah Anderson says, when Mary received the announcement of the promised son, she did not yet receive the reality of the promised son. This is where faith and hope come into view. This thing has been announced to her, but she's not experiencing the reality of it yet. So will she trust God and his word to her? Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. An ordinary girl from an ordinary place is captivated by the grace and power of God and the promise of his extraordinary son. And she responds in humble and faithful obedience. Just like Zechariah, this is not a call to blind faith or faith in faith. It's a call to faith in God and his word. She's saying, I believe your word, God. I trust in you, God. I'm your servant, God. Let your will be done in my life and in this world. But as Mary does this, there's both a, both a cosmic and a personal element to this. The cosmic element is that the Savior of the world is coming, the King of kings who will rule and reign forever. This is not just amazing news for Mary, but for all of humanity. The personal element is that in order for this to happen, Mary must walk in obedience. It will affect her more than just saving her. Submitting to God's call and God's will in our lives isn't always peaches and cream. Mary's a young and unmarried woman. You can imagine people will talk and jeer. They'll assume she's been sexually immoral. And if she tries to defend herself and say, no, guys, listen, an angel said this is what was happening, is going to happen. She'd be laughed at, mocked. Even Joseph initially seeks to break the engagement with her because he assumes or expects some level of immorality. See, this reality of this announcement of this magnificent arrival and miraculous incarnation will massively disrupt Mary's life. Will it be worth it? But in the midst of all that might come, Mary has faith and Mary submits to the call of her God with joy, not because she's perfect, not because she doesn't have questions, but because of God's grace given to her and because of the overflow of God's announcement of his extraordinary son who will come into this world by her and for her. This announcement changed everything for Mary and it changes everything for us too. If Jesus doesn't come into this world in this way, 
if he doesn't live a perfect life of obedience, if he doesn't die as a sinless substitute to pay for our sin and our rebellion and rise again from the grave, then we are still dead in our sins as we sit here this morning. No hope, no light, no life, only despair and darkness and death. But because God is faithful and because Mary is faithful to God's call, light breaks into the darkness. And now we too can experience grace and experience redemption through this child that she would bear. This is why I love Advent. I love this season, not just because decorations are fun or Christmas lights are fun or presents are fun or because you have time off of work or time off of school. I love this season of Advent that the church has been walking through for hundreds and hundreds of years because it gives us a time, a moment to slow down and think about the reality of what's taking place here. To slow down and just contemplate the awesome reality that the eternal son of God didn't phone in my rescue. He he didn't remain distant. He didn't find a shortcut for my redemption. No, he took on flesh to save me and you. The extraordinary son who's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one through whom and for whom all the world was made. He came for my sake and for yours. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's where Jesus is going. That's what Jesus is going to do as he comes to dwell among us. And the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is that even as an embryo, even in the developmental fetal stage inside the womb of this faithful woman, this extraordinary son is before all things and in him all things hold together. That even in the darkness of the womb, he's still holding the stars and the universe and everything together. That's mind-boggling. This is God in human flesh. And if he can hold the entire world together, he can hold your life together as well. He is fully God and fully man, and that is fantastically amazing. So let me ask you a question this morning. Is there room in your life for God's extraordinary son? First in believing, actually placing your faith and your hope in who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do and what he did If you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you know this story. Maybe it's new to you this morning. But let me invite you to look to him and place your hope and your faith in him. Believe that this is the very son of God who came for you. But second, then, it's in following. Mary declares after hearing about this life-altering, earth-shattering news of Jesus that she is a servant of the Lord. And the reality is we can be servants of the Lord too for the very same reasons she is. Not because an angel will come and tell you that you're going to be pregnant with the divine. No, but because the same God who is at work in her life is at work in yours. Showing and giving the same lavish grace to ordinary people like you and like me. That's good news for all of us. There are no qualifications. 
just faith in and faithfulness to our awesome God and his extraordinary son. Like Mary, this call to faithful obedience isn't easy in a world that's set against God and his ways. There is a cost to following Jesus, but it's worth it because he alone has the words of life. Listen, you aren't going to get it right all the time. Mary doesn't get it right all the time. She still has questions. She'll still wrestle and struggle, but there is grace for you because there's only one perfect one. And he's inviting you to follow him now in every part of your life, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your dating relationships, in your friendships, in your work, in your school. He's inviting you to follow him. Will you make room for him? Will you submit your life to him? Will you go out of this place today and into this week and this month and tell somebody else about God's extraordinary son? Maybe even start by just inviting them to come gather with us during this Advent season. Brothers and sisters, from this story, we see that light is coming in the darkness. Hope is on the horizon for the world. God will become flesh and dwell among us and we will see his glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This Advent season, may we stand amazed and be in awe. May we worship our extraordinary God and may we follow his extraordinary son. Amen.